0: Welcome to the Religion and Story Podcast. In Season 3, we are continuing on uh, in this podcast with the topic of churches run as a democracy. Basically, we're asking the question of how do churches make decisions? We all know that churches are a large gathering of Christians, but sometimes it's unclear exactly how decisions are made, who's responsible for making them, And does it change depending on the the size of the congregation or the different actions that are being done by the congregation? So with that in mind, Stephen, why don't you get us started?
1: Well, yeah, it'll be interesting to see all the different ways that we can line up the American government uh, and all the parallels that we might be able to find in the church. Uh, For example, you could compare the eldership To um, the Congress, Senate, whatever it might be, Um, the ministers are often viewed as a uh, an individual leader, like you would see in the executive branch. I don't know exactly uh, what we might be able to compare the uh, judicial branch to, but that whole setup or the structure, the hierarchy. Um, that we see deacons, maybe you could say that they fit somewhere in there as well. Song leaders, really, they, they have no power. So we can quickly rule them out of any, um, status that they might have. Um, but yes, just going through and we'll, you know, pick a few things here and there. Uh, one thing that we're not really going to talk about is uh, as far as democracy where you uh, there can be some emphasis on personal freedom we thought that we might be able to show that there's a parallel between that and your personal interpretation versus what uh, uh, your the congregation you might place your membership at how they say that they believe um, in a creed or doctrine or uh, whatever you want to call it. But we're going to mainly focus on the, the structure that is set up to lead a church. Um, but getting started, let's, let's just discuss the eldership. Clearly, they are the ones that are making the decisions, the ones that are ordained. We have scriptural references, uh, that we can see the, they're supposed to be these type of men, uh, and, I, I say men because it does give that clear example. I don't know of many churches uh, that have female elders, uh, at least in Churches of Christ. We do not see that. Um, but the, the eldership have a clear outline of the characteristics, and some churches follow these to a T. Some of them say that these characteristics are part of the time that uh, uh, or the churches that the letters that Paul wrote what they were written to uh sorry sorry written for um and how would you say daniel that we are able to best line up what we can take from scripture and directly link that between how churches are clearly stealing things from uh, uh the American government and that's how they're uh functioning as a church today.
2: Yeah, so I think that issue is in some way uh, related to church history, which we've discussed before and we'll discuss in other podcasts, Um, but we see that the church has understood this concept of elders in a variety of ways. In fact, other uh, Christian denominations besides the Church of Christ, where most of our listeners are coming from, have different names for these elders because there are, in fact, different names used uh, in the Bible, and sometimes they use names that come directly from the Greek, like Episcopos. Um, and so you have these overseers and these uh, and bishops and elders and shepherds. You have these different names, and sometimes it can be a little confusing. Um, but when you're, you're thinking about these uh, different positions, um, you have this... The Church of Christ has historically said uh, that when you look at the Bible, that position looks like a group of overseers. Um, some might uh, compare it to a, uh, a board, a board of trustees or a, a board of directors sort of model, and this uh, group can meet uh, behind closed doors and they make decisions for the on behalf of the church for the betterment of the church, um, and some have issues with that interpretation. Some some think that is the best way. And so Stephen, like you were saying, there's clearly a, a parallel there in some ways with uh, American democracy as we understand Congress, especially American as a, America as a republic. See Congress as this group who operates on behalf of the American people and they make decisions for. The rest of us. Um, there are, and I think we'll talk about this a little bit more, uh, perhaps things that we can learn from uh, the American system. But Michael, what are your thoughts on this parallel?
0: Yeah. so I, I think it's interesting to consider how these leaders are chosen and how they maintain their constituents. That's usually a political term that we'll use. Uh, but think also about how elders keep their congregants. So, while, while the church views the elders as the, the decision-making body, um, just like, you know, Jesus is the head of the church, but also the elders are those that are trying to make decisions within, uh, within the body of Christ in order to, to maintain this link to the message of Christ. Uh, congregants are still able to choose where they go to church. They're able to choose what eldership they put themselves under. Likewise, uh, in a Democratic setting, uh, or excuse me, a a Republican setting, a a republic chooses its leaders, which then make decisions on their behalf. You know, we send Mr. Smith to Washington in order to represent us. So it's interesting how in in both the uh, American government setting of decision making and in the church setting of decision making, we choose our leaders And then those leaders make decisions on our behalf. Now there's biblical examples of outsiders like Paul coming in and appointing elders, but the congregations I've been a part of, the, the congregants are asked, who do you think would be good leaders for the congregation? Who do you trust? Uh, who is represent, you know, who represents the ideals that scripture puts forward? Likewise, on the congressional front, if you don't like your leaders, if you don't like the president, vote them out. And there, there's a popular majority that gets its way within a, a given district. So I'm not sure how biblical it is, uh, that there is this democratic, uh, selection of leadership. As Daniel, I know you had have, have more thoughts there, so I'll, I'll hand it back to you.
2: Well, I was just going to say that uh, it, actually, at my own congregation, the minister is the one who chooses oh, the elders. Um, so that's uh, fairly uncommon in the Church of Christ, uh, though, um, and our and that model is is loose at best. Um, but uh, yeah, like that is fairly un- uncommon. But there's still generally this idea of a democratic election of elders who then represent you but as the impression that most people get is after that election there is then um, they they're no longer looking for to represent the congregation they're more looking to um, oversee the congregation so right, they are right. making the decisions they think are best even if they aren't reflecting the popular opinion and some might even say steven uh, hear your thoughts on this some might even say that that is the more scriptural thing, is the elders aren't supposed to reflect the congregation, they're supposed to be the, the leaders and the guides.
1: Right, and, and it really is going to be hard for elders to, uh, you're not going to find elders that are going to be far away from what the uh, people actually are wanting, because that, that's why they're all in part of the same congregation to put To begin with, at least most times. Yeah. I do appreciate you sharing your unique example. I don't know how unique it is uh, in the grand scheme of things about your minister uh, bringing uh, the elders, uh, not really presenting it as a a vote, uh, but usually it's the other elders that are already installed at a church are uh, really having the final vote, let's say, for new elders that are coming in. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that does present uh, something to consider about checks and balances like we see in our American government. So let's say the preacher at a certain congregation um, is wanting to install new elders that might necessarily back the sermons that he's wanting to bring or um, that are going to bring in a song le- leader that's a buddy of his or something, uh, whatever the case might be. Uh, This might be something that upsets the congregation. Something to consider. I don't think we necessarily need to get too uh, deep into a conversation about it. But one thing that I wanted to get y'all's take on is what about or have you seen to any extent campaigning in one way or another for elders where, you know, there are some congregations that some people believe this on a divisive issue where the other side of the congregation uh, believes something else. Uh, do you see a representation for half the congregation with half the elders uh, feeling one way about something and half uh, uh, being split to, to the other half? Of course, you would hope that these elders have unity, but do you see that Uh, Usually elders are reflective or uh, representatives for uh, the majority or minority that the congregation actually shows.
0: So I I would say that it's pretty safe to say that because elders are uh, older than uh, most of the congregation, they're similar to the American system. We're, We're going back to that analogy again that they, they're kind of a, a cooler. Uh, they're, they're able to um, come a little more slowly to the ideas that um, many in the congregation might have. Uh, for that reason, uh, there are likely to be factions, but the factions might not necessarily perfectly represent what's going on in, in a given congregation. Uh, for that reason, it's also important to realize that a lot of individuals vote with their feet. Uh, They vote, they vote with, uh, they vote on what they think a congregation should look like by going to a congregation that already looks like what they want it to look like. And if it doesn't look like the way they want it to look, or maybe there's not a congregation that looks just the right way to them, they'll, they'll try to push that over time. Stephen, like you said, it, it might not look like modern day campaigning, but it's you know, it's it's those individuals who will um, you know, share a meal with, with a leader in the congregation, try, trying to say, have you thought about this idea before? Testing the waters to see um, if an idea works for a specific congregation. Uh, Dana, what, what do you think?
2: Uh, well, a quick note. I really thought when Stephen was talking about campaigning, he was going to talk <laughs> about those uh, uh, Usually, older or middle-aged men in the congregation who are really gunning for the position. I think uh, we called it at Harding. You're, you're bucking for to be a bow or a queen for a club. Um, <laughs> and they're trying to trying to join that elect group. And everyone knows uh, someone who's tried to do that. But going along with this topic, I think it's interesting. Um, how much do we do we want to see American? Uh, the American system manifest in uh, the church structure. Uh, We're talking about these um, different ways of understanding how elders are either representing the congregation or they are um, separate from the congregation or overseeing it. Um, But I think there might be something to be said for the idea that we We like the American system, or at least I do, and I think uh, many people do. We think that the.
0: It's broken.
2: (laughs) Oh, dear. Uh, Well, at least one of the Crouch brothers likes the American uh, system of government, even though there may uh, be uh, problems at times. The overall architecture seems good. Um, And do we like that idea, like Stephen had said, checks and balances? Um, and how much is the minister to play into that as sort of a presidential figure as a figurehead? Um, do they act as a check, uh, a check or balance to the committee eldership and then to your populace, your, your congregation as a whole. Um, do we like that idea, Stephen?
1: Well, you're bringing a, a few thoughts to my mind. Uh, well, the one that I, I want to say before I forget, we were talking about campaigning, and I just thought it would be hilarious to see elders that were campaigning doing mudslinging campaigns exactly. and be like, Brother Smith, back in 2017, missed three straight Sundays, yet the family
2: wasn't on vacation.
1: Where were they? <laughs> Something like that.
2: I don't he know. He struck out in every church softball league we've ever had. <laughs>
1: Do you really want this guy leading your flock? No. <laughs> um, but, all right, so you're talking about the uh, the checks and balances, and uh, as far as we can see, and, and we've done uh, podcasts on this before, but the minister is not necessarily a, uh, a scriptural position that is mandatory for the church. Uh, uh, we, we do see examples that... Uh, of ministries that should be or collections are to be taken up for uh, whatever ministry might uh, be in place um the eldership though we can all agree is the the decision making group i also wanted to take that concept and not necessarily does it only uh only mimic the um the american government but just corporate america and the fact that uh corporations are running based upon the decisions that a board is uh is putting into place and so is that something where our corporate system is being run like an eldership or is it the other way around where our elders are making the decisions and what are how are they guiding those decisions obviously uh, i think what, as michael said before they're making those decisions uh off of how sound uh Are these decisions in accordance with Scripture?
0: Sure. So I I think it's interesting that we compare it to to the board structure. And once again, this is reminding me that churches don't just necessarily exist in and of themselves. They are created by—when I say churches, I I mean congregations— you know, they're planted. They are put together by a group of people that is, that is wanting something. And they don't necessarily come with elders at the very beginning. Uh, there are zero elders before there are any elders. And so some congregations that don't have any elders, uh, might, uh, form a men's business meeting. Uh, where decisions are made about some matters that would usually go to an uh, an eldership but because there is no eldership maybe no one's qualified or they just haven't appointed anyone or the all of the christians are are young in their faith um, decisions have to be made somehow um, stephen
1: yeah I was gonna say do we have anything or i want to see what y'all Thoughts are regarding delegation from the elders passing out responsibilities to deacons. W- where do elders need to draw the line and say, this, is, this isn't worth our time, get a deacon to do it? But, or, uh, <laughs> yeah. you
0: know. So we've all. Is, yes, sorry to interrupt. We've all heard stories of micromanaging elders who, you know, will, uh, will, lay, will say it is scriptural for only blue carpet in this room. And you know that we're often told how ridiculous it is that that elders would micromanage in such a way. I want to say that I'm somewhat proud of my eldership. Uh, the congregation I attend, uh, we recently had a series of classes where we were talking about church security, and as we we all know that that's sadly an issue that we have to deal with in our in our modern times. Um, and we had an elder that was in the classes. We were talking about these things. We seemed to be making progress on, on some ideas. And I remember several heads looking back and say you know, uh, to the elder, can we do this? And the elder kind of threw up his hands and said, well, hold on, that's not what elderships are for. We're here to tell you if it is scriptural or not. Um, if you bring a security measure to us, we'll tell you if it violates some scriptural mandate and if not then it's just a decision of the congregation it, maybe it needs to be made in a in a larger context than just one class but the point of the eldership at least according to our elders the point of the eldership is to say, is to be the the umpire calling scriptural not scriptural you know does it violate um you know god's commands or not or is there nothing about it in which case we are free to choose as a congregation.
1: So, and forgive me for maybe leading the conversation in this direction, but we have uh, examples in government of people not necessarily following the rules. And so, uh, is there, a, we know what Scripture says about um, elders that, uh, or sorry, believers that don't do things according to Scripture, how you're supposed to handle them, but how do we handle uh, elders that don't necessarily do what they're supposed to do, uh, and how does that parallel to what we see in American government?
0: Impeachment. Um, you know, I I think that's an interesting idea. It, it, it's so uncommon that you know uh, you you hesitate to even say what the process would be. There, there's no, no process laid out.
1: You say it's uncommon, but you hear in the news all the time about such and such minister had an affair and brought disgrace or whatever. Uh, the same thing goes on in elderships, I would assume to an extent, maybe not a... Uh, a uh, so so a, I, I
0: thought you were talking about something different, like when, when someone c- commits a public sin and we're requires removal from leadership positions i there's usually pretty universal agreement on how that should be i i'm thinking more about um elders church leaders who commit um some type of biblical error where the let's say Ninety percent.
1: misinterpretation. Sure,
0: ninety percent of the congregation says that your interpretation of scripture is so wrong that you no longer, or you've lost our trust. You've uh, you've lost the trust of the congregation and of the rest of the elders. That's fairly uncommon. Right, that,
1: oh yeah, I, I would totally agree with you. That, but that is not what I was okay. referring to. I'm talking about if somebody uh, has a a sin that is made public or uh, a recurring sin, whether it's a one-time uh, instance or of, of serious consequence or a recurring sin of what you might consider a minor consequence. Uh, how do we handle that versus, like you said, impeachment was your go-to thought? Um, how how do those parallel?
2: Yeah, I think um, I, I kind of agree with Michael. Those I've seen that happen, and normally... Those people have the sense enough to resign, especially because this isn't American politics where there's not money involved with this. Uh, Like you're not being paid to do this. It's kind of embarrassing. Uh, Yeah. So they usually step aside. If not, the other elders ask them to step aside. Uh, Now, with Michael's situation where he's describing that the congregation sort of universally agrees, we don't like that decision uh, we think you're wrong even. And that, yeah, to go that second step to say, we think you're actually, you're wrong in your interpretation. Uh, I think sadly how we see that taken care of is the congregation dies because the members leave. There's no way, there's no way in people's minds. To, there should be a process by which they say, Hey, we we're going to give you another chance or, Hey, we need you to step down. We want the congregation to continue flourishing. Um, but normally, what happens is the elders—they have that power; they can stay in their position, and so the members leave. Um, and that's how congregations yeah. die. Um, and that seems like something that should be fixed.
0: So, so you, right.
2: Go ahead.
1: I was going to say that I think that uh, how we actually see that transition happen, uh, and maybe this is a reflection on. Uh, a generational thing it used to be if you had a disagreement you'd go to the elders you'd hash things out and uh possibly just agree to disagree but i it's completely uh common these days to if you don't agree with the elders just go to another congregation and i thought that that was a a somewhat uh parallel that what we can see regarding you know states rights that if a state is doing something that you don't want, or if a state is do- doing something that you do want and you don't live there, then you're going to move to that state or move out of that state that, uh, in order to get what it is you want. At least you could see that with how you know tax structures for ta- uh, state right. taxes that, and stuff. Stephen,
2: that was a great way to continue our parallel with the American government. I didn't even see the that parallel of states' rights, so that was excellent. Um, I, I do want to say I wonder how uh how much better. Our northern uh, brothers and sisters, northern churches handle this, Um, especially like when you're considering like people trying to stay within a denomination. So your Church of Christ up in upstate New York, um, how do you you can't it's not easy to go to another congregation. So um, I assume I would guess that they do have to deal with these Mm -hmm. um, in a wiser method like you're talking about, Stephen.
1: And that would be the equivalent of moving to Canada instead of a different state.
0: <laughs> now, that, that, that's a good point that um, all three of us live in large southern cities where we have many options on where to, what congregation to be a part of. And many uh, within the church do not have such an option within a geographical location. And so decision making does look a little different we don't have too much time but uh I, I wanted to to put out uh to my brothers I ask you all this what are the decisions that are made in congregations that people often don't think about um what or put put it this way what are some decisions that you think our listeners should be more mindful of thinking that these aren't just made just because but there's actual input that might uh, bring value uh, to these decisions. I'll get. I'll give a few. Um, you might ask, uh, how are the songs chosen for our worship services? Is it one person just picking out their favorites, or are we choosing songs that go with the theme of the worship service? That you know, mix old and new, or or there, there's actually a, a group of people putting in thought to how songs are chosen. Uh, That's just one. What are y'all thinking about?
1: My thoughts were that the church puts a significant uh, focus on uh, leadership during worship service, where I think that you should have leadership, as in shepherds, watching over the church, um, and not from a boardroom setting. But how do you think the elders uh, were conducting themselves in uh, the early church, as far as they it was a community that they would go and check on people in the community and not uh necessarily take on such an administrative role and but going back to what i said about the uh there's a focus in the church about the leadership during worship we want to make sure that we know who's the person preaching we want to know who the song leader is who are the guys passing out communion rather than just let the church worship together And I think that comes from a sense of tradition or tradition where you have people that are in roles and, um, you want to make sure that you're not leaving, uh, the, the question of is it men that are doing this versus women? But I think we're, we're missing the point a lot of times where we just, uh, you don't necessarily need one guy, uh, mic'd up leading your singing. Um, but just allowing the church, you know, um, th- this is not going to be an example that, uh, all of our listeners are going to get, but I know, uh, both my brothers will, and maybe they can, uh, help take it into an example that our listeners will get. But when we, uh, did a thing called early Christian worship, where we replicated the Christians, um, worshipping in the catacombs, uh, uh, in the, under uh, roman persecution we are sitting there as a group and we don't necessarily there's nobody up in the center stage but we are worshiping where somebody out of the crowd will start a song and we worship and then uh, a prayer will be said you don't know who's saying the prayer you can't see anything in front of you it's pitch black and so yeah just putting that uh leadership focus out of the picture and focusing just on the worship itself. Sorry, I went a little long there
2: to be clear for our, our listeners. That was just, that was not just me and my brothers <laughs> doing early Christian worship <laughs> by ourselves. It was part of our summer camp that we went to, um, to answer Michael's question, a quick thing or a quick, uh, thing that I think we needed, to, uh, to consider the decision-making process is actually, um, large decisions made by the church, um, my congregation just um, is uh, dealing with a controversial issue that um, I won't uh, talk about right now but um, it with talking with some of the ministers and some of the elders um, I've uh, been able to see how they have actually been dealing with this issue it is not a sudden uh, change at our churches a issue that they've been dealing with for over a year and and in in-depth Bible studies weekly um, almost for a year's time to deal with this issue. And so understanding that the elders and the ministers and whoever else are, are not making wild changes um, haphazardly, but they are putting in uh, their due diligence to, uh, best serve the congregation. That said, I'll, I will I want to make one concluding remark for myself on this topic. Um, and I hinted at it earlier, but uh, I think it's important when talking about this idea of church leadership and church structure to um, not understand the elders as a, a board of trustees, but to understand them as um, shepherds and over. As well as overseers. But as a part of that role, uh, we should hope that our shepherds and overseers will give our ministers a very, very long leash and a a lot of freedom, Um, not to do anything, but to do a lot of things. And hopefully in that process, uh, the church can be built by continual give and take, um, especially in churches where the elders are usually older and the ministers are younger and you get um, that dynamic movement to help um, grow the church. Other concluding thoughts?
0: Yeah, so my concluding thought for this podcast, my one takeaway for our listeners, is remember that you are a part of a congregation. And that means you're a part of a family. So the leaders of your congregation, the elders, the ministers, the deacons, they want to know your opinion. So, uh, first of all, have an opinion. Think about uh, the concerns of your congregation. Maybe it's class topics for your Bible classes. Think about, what would I like to learn about in my Bible class? And then proactively share with your deacons, ministers, elders, your thoughts. And don't be surprised when, when you share those ideas that they might ask you to be involved, ask to help out with those things. It's not a burden on your time, but it's another way that you can serve God. Right, Stephen, what's a concluding thought?
1: The only additional thing is you said to present the elders with your concerns. I would also say that the elders need to make themselves available. Right. Uh, not to say that ones that I've been around haven't. Uh, it's A lot of times you'll hear about decisions after they've already been made, and I think it is... Always good to let the congregation, uh, be aware of what these, uh, the issues are at hand, and, uh, maybe, um, elders, not to say that they need to uh, take a poll of the congregation, but, cause what the congregation believes essentially doesn't make a difference, uh, uh, in, uh apart from what scripture says, but, um, it, it might be something to uh, worth considering. What the uh, the opinion is on something that isn't necessarily scriptural.
0: All right, that's it for today. We'll have a brand new episode for you next week. Check out our blog at religionandstory.com and leave us your feedback. See you next time.